Hey Thrivers, you're listening to the Thrive Student Ministry Podcast. Thrive is an MBSF college ministry on the campus of the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. At Thrive, we empower students to engage in their relationship with God through mentorship, friendship, and the discovery of their purpose. For more information on our gathering times, including our events, small groups, and weekly worship, visit us at thriveuark.com or follow us on our social medias at thriveuark. This week, Dom takes us back towards Galatians as we continue our series on the epistle written to the Galatian churches. Our scripture for the night comes from Galatians 5, verses 16 through 21. We hope you enjoy the message. more you got energy for all kind of nonsense instead of putting it in your team instead of demonstrating some respect and being a leader i ain't got no team we ain't going nowhere you telling us all the time how bad we are we know we ain't gonna win what do i got to respect my old man drove a truck for the better half of his life now, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Other than the fact, he hated it. But, Hill, that's the only way he knew how to put food on the table and give his kids a chance to do something they loved. I love this game. I love this game. I never was the greatest player. But I busted my butt, and I outworked better players. I ain't the smartest coach, but I bust my butt, and I outworked smarter coaches. And when I see the talents you got, and I see you wasting it, ticks me off. Now, if you couldn't get in the gym, if you didn't have the opportunity, there'd be nothing for us to talk about, but son, I've been there. But times are different. You're in the gym, Bobby. And if you're in the gym, you step out on that floor, you better respect my father, you better respect me, and you better respect yourself and play some basketball. There's a reason I showed that clip for a couple of purposes. Um, that is actually from one of my favorite sports movies called Glory Road. And the connection there, the loose one at least, is that if you haven't already, I would encourage you to hop on to our podcast. You can find that on whatever podcast platform you listen to those on. But here recently, we've started doing this new segment of the podcast. Of course, we put all our messages on there. So if you ever miss, you can go find them on, on our podcast platform. But the thing that we've started doing, we've done two of them now with Jack and myself. Uh, we're wanting to introduce this idea of student stories. Because we didn't have this element of testimony nights. We've, we've done that in the past, whether it's been through our community groups or here um, on a worship night. We've done testimonies, and we really wanted a way to get those stories out there. And so we're really excited to kind of push that out and even through the summer provide some of those so that you can get to know some of your fellow students um, a little bit better and even get to know some of their different parts of their story that you might not know. But each time we do a draft, last week we did favorite sports and movies, and Number one pick is my favorite, Glory Road. That movie is about uh, the 1965 Texas Western Miners, and they uh, is a really famous team for a couple of reasons. They won the national championship, but that wasn't even the most significant thing that happened with that team. The thing at that time in 65 was that in the NCAA, it was uncommon to see um, black players playing at, at that level. You know, there weren't many. There's even a joke in the, in the movie where the unwritten rule at the time was you play one at home, two on the road, three if you're losing. 
right? But this team, uh, they went and recruited seven, of, seven black players. Seven of their 12 players were African-American. And that was something that was unheard of at the time. And so much so and so significant, they experienced all sorts of racism, all sorts of things throughout their year. But it was such a significant thing that in the national championship, Coach Don Haskins decides that he wants to play only his African-American players. And they go on to win the national championship. It's just an awesome story. I would encourage you to go watch that movie if you're a sports fan and you haven't seen it already. But the clip that I rolled at the beginning, I did it very purposefully. That's their star player. His name is Bobby Joe Hill. And the coach there, um, the other gentleman there, his name is Coach Don Haskins. And just to give you some context, I wanted to show more of that clip, but I couldn't like screen record it because, you know, that's copyright. So, um, but before that, before you see him just dogging it and, and suffering, running those stairs, what he's doing is he's hanging out with his girl, they're drinking, they're partying, they're having a good time. And he knows that he's not supposed to be doing that. He knows that his mind needs to be on basketball, especially given the fact that he's the best player on the team, he's a leader. And what he said is, I love basketball. I breathe basketball. This is what I want to mark my life. This is what I want to do with my life. I want basketball. And instead of being in the gym, like he says, you could, if you couldn't get in the gym, that'd be one thing, but you can get in the gym and you're not. Right? You're doing all these things that are counter to the thing that you say you want. And I think that brings it home for us, especially where we're at you know, in the text, in our semester, just in our lives. We often need a, a check like this um, for our spiritual lives. You know, we say we love God. We say we want to glorify God. But so many times we find ourselves doing things that are counter and hinder us from having that intimacy with him. We do things like, you know, we're going out or, um, and partying or we're sleeping over with our girlfriends or stuff like that. But there are all sorts of things that get in the way from us having intimacy with God. You know, a lot of us, we see that and that's, that's a practice that marks our lives. And we think that reading our Bible for five minutes on version is going to get us to that place of intimacy with Christ. And that's just not the case. You know, and so over the next two weeks, we're going to hop back in Galatians. We really had to take a break uh, from Galatians because uh, Jack made it really weird just talking about circumcision so much. You know, we, he, he wanted to talk about vasectomy and what the Bible has to say about that. But we said, no, 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 no. You got to do resurrection. And then after that, I'll speak and you need to just sit on the bench for a little bit. So that's what we're doing the next couple weeks. We're going to be hanging out in Galatians 5 and we're going to be talking about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And originally this was going to be one message, but I decided to split it up in two just because there's so much stuff here. It's so rich. You know, when you think about Galatians, this is the chapter that you're thinking about. You're thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe next week I can get Allison, I can record Allison doing the whole little song. You know, I, I didn't learn the song because I didn't grow up going to church camp or VBS or anything like that. Yeah, that. Yeah, Allison loves it. That. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, next week, the worship team will be performing that to start the set. So um, be here at 8.30, and we'll start off with that next week. Right, Jenna? Um, but tonight, specifically, we're going to be in Galatians 5. And uh, you, you guys know I like to have points of emphasis, usually a few points. And so the three things that we're going to talk about today, the emphasis is to acknowledge that we are in a battle, that we're in a fight. Spiritual warfare is real, you know, and so we're going to talk about what happens when we fail to fight, what happens when we lose that fight, 
you know. And then we're also going to talk about what happens and how we fight well and how we respond when we do stumble. And so if you want to turn to me, turn with me to Galatians 5, we're going to pick up in verse 16. Um, let's see. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow, follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've told you bef before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's where we're going to stop tonight, and we're going to jump into really deep into that piece of the passage. But just to give you some context, just the way that it starts, you know, it's a recap. And these letters are meant to be written in one setting, right? They, before they had chapters, before they had verses, this was legitimately a letter that was written to the churches in the region of Galatia, and it was read all in one sitting. And so when we go through it, this deeply throughout the semester, it's hard because we're breaking it down and we're digging deep into it. And so sometimes there's a tendency for us to lose the context there. But what you need to know is anytime you see any sort of statement like, so I say, or therefore, or but, it's always to follow up. It's always to build on a previous thought. And so if you need the recap here, it says uh, in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 5, when he was talking about circumcision, uh, it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, something that he continues to build on here in this passage. He says, Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's an, a huge emphasis on this. And for us, there's a tendency for us to run by this idea that, hey, we need to love one another. And I, I really like that Jack took a moment to stop a few weeks ago to say, hey, we cannot miss on loving one another. It's so, so significant that of all the commands in the New Testament, there are 59 that have to do with one another. And one third of them are, say, have to do with the idea of loving one another, bear with one another in love, you know, show brotherly affection to one another. It's super significant in that Paul is the one that takes up 60% of the times that it's actually said that way in the Greek. And Paul is always, always coming back, very much like he's doing with the Galatian believers, that he's coming back to remind them, don't miss this. Right? And so for us, we have to also take that into account when we're thinking about this passage. But the other thing that we have to take into account is the idea that what's been going on in Galatians, and we're not going to spend too much time recapping it, but what he's, going, he's been doing, Paul has been addressing these believers in regard to legalism with circumcision and stuff like that, circumcision, and then these false believers that are coming in to undermine him. And so those are all external things. These are all external things that are happening in the church of Galatia to the believers in Galatia. And so what he's going to do now is he's going to address what needs to happen, the change that needs to happen internally inside of our hearts for us to be able to fulfill this command of loving one another. 
And so he's diving deeper into that one command. The whole law can be summed up in that one command. And so he starts in verse 16. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And so for us, just the natural question to ask there is, do you actually allow God, do you actually allow the Holy Spirit to guide your life? And, you know, the story, I shared this in a previous sermon at Pathway, but um, Allison's mom, you know, around the time where we got uh, married, our wedding, she got COVID Christmas Day. And I remember just the, the air dropping out of the room when she's like, I've got one more present for you that I don't want to give you. And she said, I've got COVID, COVID and we got to figure out how to move forward. So, of course, we decided not to have the big ceremony. But I remember her response. All of us were talking about, like, hey, like, what do we need to do? Who do we need to call? Do we need to have the service? Do we not? Do we just do family? Do we just do it in Jack's living room? That kind of thing. And I remember she just piped up and she said, you know what? I'm going to pray. And I remember it stuck out to me so much that that was her first response is, hey, I'm going to let, I'm going to go to God and I'm going to put this at his feet, you know. This is a difficult circumstance. We're going through a difficult time. And many of you can relate to that, whether it's your classes that you're going through, whether it's family drama, whether you're grieving, a loss of a friend, a loss of a loved one, you know, who knows? But what is your response? And I think our response oftentimes tells us so much about where our heart is at, where it's actually correlated, you know, about whether we're actually going to allow God to guide our lives or not. Some of the translations to this verse say, Walk in the Spirit instead of uh, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. You know, some of you might have that. And I, looked at, I was looking into that idea, too, just because, you know, sports, I, sports and the idea of being active has always intrigued me. So the idea of walking in the Spirit or running the race or any time of anything like that, that's used multiple times in the Gospels in the New Testament, three times in the Gospels, one time in Acts. But again, Paul uses it many more times than that. He uses it 33 times in the epistles. And why? Anytime there's a repetition of that degree, there's an important reason why he continues to go back to it. Very much like the idea of we have to love one another, right? We have to let the, we have to walk in the spirit and let it guide our lives. And the Greek word peripateo really means to conduct oneself. Of course, the idea of walking implies activity, but the thing too that he's, that that definition kind of implies and, and kind of expounds on is the idea of making progress and to make the most of an opportunity. And for us, you know, very much like Bobby Joe Hill in that, that scene, he was messing around, he was screwing around when he could have been making the most of the opportunity to grow more intimate with the thing that he said he loved most. And for us, the tendency in us, we have to be marked by going to God in prayer trying to spend time with his people, trying to grow more deep, deep in our relationship with him. Because we all say we want to glorify God. We all say we want to be intimate with God. But then we, we act like spending five minutes praying or just praying before our meals or just our five-minute Bible study, that that's going to be fine. Or that just showing up on a Wednesday night or a Sunday is going to do the trick. That's what's going to get our intimacy with God. And that's not true. We have to be able to do, and have to be willing to dive deeper into that, to be able to grow and make progress. And so Peter is also somebody who struggled with that. Peter, of course, is someone who professed that, Jesus, you're the Messiah, right? I would die for you. And then we see, you know, not 10 seconds later, he denies Jesus. And you feel and you see the shame that it carries with him, right? Later, it, it goes to the idea that, he, 
they're on the beach and you guys, some of you guys that have been to small group and have had that conversation already, the idea that he looks at Peter, Peter jumps straight out of the boat to go, go to the Lord. And when he gets there, the Lord asks him three times, much like he denied him three times, hey, do you love me? Well, he always follows, follows that command or that question with lead my sheep, right? You notice that? And then at the end, he says, follow me. And so for us to be able to lead, the key there is that we have to also be a disciple. We have to be a true follower of Christ, and we need that. And we see Peter is someone who, he loved God, and it's genuine love, it really is, because you can t- tell the repentance, the hate that he has for his fleshly desires there, right? But you see him even struggle with that, and we, we kind of skipped over it. It was kind of unfortunate we did, but at, uh, Galatians chapter 2, you know, where, where Paul has to go to Peter and post him to his face for his racism, for his hatred towards the Gentiles. And he already knew that, you know, the Gentiles were clean. They were purified. Nothing from God uh, that comes from God was going to be unpure. And he knew that in his heart of hearts. But when it, he was faced with it face to face, his flesh took over, you know. And so he was someone, too, that had to work on making that progress. And so the second point that I have is if we have such an amazing helper, because, you know, that we the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit, he's going, to, he's going to send a helper in the Holy Spirit for us, right? So we know we have a helper. And if we have such an amazing helper, why don't we lean on it more, right? And the illusion that I have here is funny. Ethan saw it back there and was laughing at me. But I decided to switch away from my original uh, illustration here and moved it to this one because so many of you guys have um, kind of embraced disc golf. But what that is, it's a, it's a range finder. And so what it is, is it's a tool that I started playing when I was about 10, and they weren't, there weren't these. There weren't half the disc selection that you guys go into Springdale and you find like 10,000 discs on the wall. There's like, I don't know, a couple hundred. Um, but that is a rangefinder. It's something that has been recent to the last like two or three years, actually. And you can like put it up to your eye very much like, like binoculars or something like that. And it'll tell you the approximate distance of the destination you need to get to, which is the basket in disc golf. And so... With that tool, you can decide what kind of disc you want to throw. You can decide, hey, I need to uh, adjust in this direction or that direction. But there are a lot of players that don't use something like that. And I don't understand if they have the ability to, and I know that Bushnell is a small enough company that they would sponsor any one of these pros. If they have the ability to use a tool at their disposal like this, there's no reason why they shouldn't be using it in their tournaments because like, this is their livelihood. Many of them... like their tournament winnings is how they're going to like put food on the table for their family. And so for us, when we talk about the Holy Spirit being our helper and us growing in our relationship with God, he is the helper who is going to help us grow in intimacy. He is the best man to uh, the bride and groom in the relationship with Christ. He's the one that wants to shine the light on who Jesus is. And if we want intimacy with Christ, we have to be willing to use the helper that we have. And so we continue in verse 17, and it says, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful, uh, sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your own good intention. And so once again, this idea of the contrast between the sinful nature and the spirit. It says the sinful nature wants this, but the spirit wants this. The sinful nature desires this, and the spirit desires that. This idea of wants and desires. And so the natural question for us to ask ourselves is, if you're honest with yourself, 
what is the deepest desire of your heart? If I put a card on, on, your, on your chair to fill out this, this evening to say, what's the deepest desire of your heart? What would you write on it? Would you write, hey, I, I actually want to be in an intimate relationship with God. I want to glorify God. Or would you say, look, I just want to get out of school with a four point. Or I'm just looking forward to getting married in August. You know, type thing. I don't know. What is it for you? And I think each day, every day, we need to be renewed and reminded of that question to reorient our hearts. Jack has used the idea of a compass, you know, the idea of a compass points in the direction you want to go to. But if you get even a tick off of that direction, it might not make a difference if I'm walking from me to Cata. But if I walk all the way down there towards Burton's, I'm going to be way off if I'm not really in tune with the right direction where, where I'm going. And so the second thing we see is that the spirit and the flesh, it, he just comes out and says that we, this illusion has been there, but he just finally comes out and says, the spirit and the flesh are in opposition. He says, this, uh, these two forces are constantly fighting each other. And so that's the idea. And the first point that I have uh, that we, we laid out at the beginning is the idea, hey, we're in a fight. Spiritual warfare is real. I remember when I was a little kid and I started playing sports, I was getting pitching lessons from um, this ex-MLB player. Uh, he was, his son was playing at our complex and stuff like that. And so I did lessons with him. And he, he took me aside one day and he told me, hey, look, when you pitch, you need to pitch angry. You need to pitch as if the person who's batting, the other team is trying to get between you and your family making it. They're trying to take your livelihood away from you. Right? And so you have to pitch as if your life depends on it. And I remember like, I was, I'm like a 10 year old kid and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I understand like as an MLB player, as a disc golfer, you know, uh, a pro disc golfer, your life does depend on it. And in very many ways too, in our same context, in our same walk as believers, our spiritual maturity, our growth as a Christian, and then our continued sanctification depends on how we approach this relationship. Do you approach it in a sense where, hey, we're just all willy-nilly, um, that there's a mediocrity that we're content with? Do we run away when times get hard? Do we run and deny Jesus like Peter did? Or are we going to, to continue to be willing to stay in that ring, stay in the ring and fight, right? Because many of us say that we want that, but the question is like, are you actually here for it? Are you actually willing to stay in the ring, to take some of the punches? Because life, life is gonna get hard. You know, for many of you, you've done the most important part, which is to accept Jesus as your savior, right? And if you haven't done that, that's absolutely the first step. Right? But after that, I would argue, at least, I, and I can say this just for myself, is I think in, in some ways, this next part is harder because you have to care. Like now I have to care about, you know, I can't be like scrolling through Instagram aimlessly. I can't be scrolling through TikTok aimlessly because there's, there's lustful content out there that my flesh wants to gravitate towards. Or I can't be just lazy and um, apathetic with how I spend my time. I need to be efficient, right? And there are so many times we need to just be willing to understand that, look, there are things that are going to try to come between us and our intimacy with Christ. And so how we fight is going to be something that's super important for our continued sanctification. And so the next part of this verse that says, these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free uh, to carry out your own good intentions. 
Um, this is a verse, part of this um, text that I struggled with a little bit, and I was looking into it, really praying over, God, what does this mean in this context? How, how does this come across as, you know, I try to communicate this? And so uh, I came to 1 John 3, 9 that says, Anyone having been born of God does not practice sin because his seed abides in him and he is not able to continue sinning because he is born of God. Well, the conclusion that I came to and the conclusion I think we need to come to when we, we look at a verse like this is not that you won't ever sin again. I think we all know that the idea of us continuing to sin, continuing to stumble is going to be there. And that's why this idea of having to fight to get up and fight is so important. Because if you're not willing to fight, well, then you're just going to fall flat on your face. And maybe I don't, I don't want to question your salvation, but if you're not willing to fight, maybe I do. But in the same sense, if you're apathetic to it, you're going to continue to lose. You're going to continue to stumble. Uh, and so... Romans 7 has a lot to say about that, and we're not going to um, dive. I'm not going to read that whole thing, but Paul is pretty much talking about the idea, hey, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the bad things I, I, I know I need to stay away from, bad things I don't want to do, I, I just continue to do them. Right? But what's clear in this context of not only this verse, but in Romans where Paul is talking there as well, is Paul hates the sin. He hates the evil that's within him. Right? And we've talked about this um, over the course of the year, the idea of in the Job series, we talked about Satan being the person that brings uh, those temptations, those evil things against us. And then Jack later in the, the other series talked about the Poneros, which is the evil eye, the wickedness that is inside us. And so we're fighting against these two very strong forces, the flesh, which is he's talking about here in Galatians, which is the wickedness inside us. Right? And then also Satan, who absolutely seeks to seek, kill and destroy you and your spiritual growth. Right. And so the question that I have to ask you in this instance is, what is your attitude towards sin? And has your attitude towards sin really changed? You know, has your attitude towards, towards the sin that you know stumbles you? And, and I know each one of you can probably point to and know, hey, this is the sin that I struggle with. Has your attitude towards that changed? Do you hate it? Do you not want to do it? And I'm not saying that you don't ever struggle with it. It might be insecurity. It might be lust. It might be pride. I don't know. But do you know what that sin is? And then are you fighting it? Are you continuing to try to measure where you are in, in terms of your changed mind of what you think about that sin? The thing that is natural when we have those kind of questions, when we read a verse like this, is to question our salvation. And that was even the question that Jack kind of left for us last week is, what are you going to do with doubt? And when you have this in a context like this, what are you going to do? Are you going to doubt it to the point where you're going to run? Um, Jack even shared a verse with me and it helped this idea. Um, it's talking about in, in Hebrews, this idea where the early church, the believers are being persecuted. They're being put in jail. They're being slaughtered, right? Uh, but in Hebrews 10, it says, you suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. And when you owned and all you, when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew that there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. And so here's the key verse. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember that great, the great reward that it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. And so here's the thing. This idea, it says patient endurance is what you need. You know, sometimes you're going to go through seasons 
where it's really hard. It's really difficult to open up your Bible. It's really difficult to go to God and say, God, I hate that this happened to me. Or God, I hate that this is what the situation that I'm, fr- I'm in front of right now. But for us, we, we really have, our, our struggles can't shake our confidence in our salvation and our relationship with God. And we just have to know that we just have to persist through it. And so we're going to get into this idea of the works of the flesh. You know, this is the big part, the second big part of this chunk of scripture. Um, But it says in verse 19, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so I know many of you have probably heard sermons where they kind of go through the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, and they kind of, they'll go through each one of these characteristics and kind of talk, this is what it means to be peaceful. This is what it means to be kind. This is what it means to uh, have lustful pleasures. And I didn't necessarily, I mean, you guys know me, I'm kind of long-winded. If I did that, we'd be here till 11, a, 11 p.m., and that's not good. So I really have categorized these into... <laughs> four categories instead. <laughs> and so <laughs> the four categories that we put them in, bear with me, stick with me, is sensual sins, religious sins, interpersonal sins, and social sins. Of course, the sensual sins there are all due uh, with this idea of immorality, sexual impurity, and we get that from the, idea, the Greek word porneia, which is where we get the word porn, you know, uh, and that's your impurity, lustful pleasures. Some translations have that as lewdness. And I would have thought that just as like, kind of like a, I don't know, for lack, I, I, don't, I don't know how else to say this, so just kind of like sluttiness. Um, but <laughs> the, the, some of the Greek, some of the translations that I found in there were the idea of lewdness referring to the idea ready to sin at any time. And I know that for, as a guy, like that's just, honestly, that is a temptation at t- sometimes where, look, I might be not looking for, you know, lustful content or anything like that, but at any time something could come up in me and something just sparks. And I go to God and I say, we're not doing this today. <laughs> or I text somebody to say, hey, look, just pray for me today for this, right? Um, but then the religious sins, idolatry, which all of us know about what idolatry is, and sorcery. Um, and then the Greek word for sorcery is pharmakia, um, which was where we get the word pharmacy. I thought that was weird, the idea that it, it also talks about uh, that word. In, it implies the idea of drug use. And so if you've ever taken drugs, that means, you know, you're a sorcerer. You're close to being part of the big three androids, aliens, or wizards. You just don't have a hat. Uh, <laughs> but then, but look, look, then, <laughs> then we have our interpersonal sins, our interpersonal sins. There's a long list of them there. I'm not going to read them all just because I told you I wouldn't, but you can tell that list for interpersonal sins is much longer than any of the others. Why is that? You know, the idea of um, these interpersonal relationships, me and Taylor are are friends, right? All these things are things that I could do to him that would be horrible. You know, there'd be things that I shouldn't be doing with him. You know, it'd be a, a sin, and so the reason I, I believe that he, he puts this there and makes this long list of things in, in comparison to the other sins is because of this idea that he's expounding on the idea of internally, how do we love one another? And these things would run completely opposite to what he's calling us to do. 
And so finally, there's the social sins, um, drunkenness, parties, and all these kind of things. And so my question for you is, when you look at this list, and this is not an exhaustive list, but when you look at this list, do any of them mark your life? You know, when we talk about understanding the sin that you need to hate, do you know which one of those are the one that you're going to struggle with? You know, for me, I've loved over the last couple of weeks the amount of stories I've heard just being involved with the guys community group, being involved with the freshman community group, the level of intimacy, the level of vulnerability that we've been able to have over the, couple, the last couple of weeks in different conversations. And for me, even one of the things I shared at the men's community group was about my own personal struggle. In my own personal struggle, struggle I know the sin that's going to t- tend to trip me up more often than not, the one more than any other one that's going to do that is lust. And that's something that has been refined in me over years and years and years. And then in college, when I became a full believer and understanding God's standard for lust and how we are to treat women and other people just in general. I was exposed to pornography as a young kid, you know, and I just immediately dove into it. It was the point where in high school, it was a regular practice every day. I'm going there, you know, and I didn't really see anything wrong with that. And then even in college, before I became a follower of Christ, and even when I, was, when I first became a follower of Christ, when I didn't have this refined idea, uh, when I wasn't near as mature as where I'm at now, the idea of like, hey, porn is not good, pornography is not good, seeing that kind of content is not good, but masturbation's okay, or Instagram, if it's on Instagram, you know, they'd censor if it was bad on Instagram, that kind of stuff. They don't. So, but the point there is there's a level of growth there, a level of continued sanctification there where we learn to hate, hate the sin that trips us up. And that doesn't mean that you aren't going to struggle with those things. You are, you will. And anyone that tells you that they don't struggle with sin, I don't know that I believe you because you will struggle with sin. But do you recognize the sin that, that tripped you up? Do you recognize the sin that might mark your life? Right? How are you going to respond to that? So the last part of this verse says, um, anyone that's living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Pretty similar to that early idea um, in that verse. But will you throw that picture up there, Ty? Anybody know what that is? That's uh, Alan Iverson. But do you know what that picture is from? Anybody? Come on, Kata. You're my basketball girl. This is from Alan Iverson's famous, famous, no, it's not Post Malone. It is AI, AI. Um, but Alan Iverson, famous point guard. Uh, at the time, he was playing with the Sixers. And this is a press conference where he went on for probably four to six minutes. And all he was saying was, it's not about the game. It's about practice. It's not about the game, it's about practice. It's about practice. And like every question the reporters would ask, that is what his answer was. And I remember it because, well, I don't remember it, but I remember like seeing this clip as a young kid and being like, what the heck is he doing? Like, this is crazy. Um, But I say, I bring this point up to say, the way you perform is going to reflect the way you practice. And there's the reason why he was so adamant on that. The way you practice, the way you begin to start to implement new things in your life, new spiritual practices to become more mature, it's going to reflect with how you live your life, right? And so this is what that means. The the word there, living that sort of life, again, is not um, 
the idea that you ever just, you just stumble with it. It's the idea of a continued practice and continued way of living of that lifestyle. And so we're going to jump into this idea of how do we fight against these fleshly desires? How do we um, fight against our nature? And I'm going to give real quick four kind of characteristics um, that we can use to kind of fight against this flesh. This is not, again, an exhaustive list, but just four. The first one is ownership. Whenever we're struggling with ownership, or with a sin, I'm sorry, uh, we need to own it. We need to acknowledge that, yes, this is a sin, you know, and I've fallen short of that standard. And what needs to happen is you need to own it, and sometimes that means owning the consequences that come along with it. Uh, I remember going down to Dallas, and my sophomore year, after I was saved, buying some alcohol for some underclassmen, and getting back and having a big issue with uh, the people who had bought the hotel room, Jack had, had a sit-down conversation with me, and I had to own it. And sometimes you're, you, the, the sin is going to lead to a consequence that you don't like, but that's part of owning it. Second thing is confession. Do you have someone that you can talk to when you stumble with any one of these sins or you stumble with a particular sin that you can go to and say, hey, I need you to pray for me, or hey, this is what happened, this is what I did. I need to ask for forgiveness. Confession is, is both an idea of vertical confession towards God and horizontal confession uh, with, among each other. And there are a few verses that you, you could go and find that would tell you that. Um, but that's just something that I know is, is hard for me. I'm sure it's hard for, I know it's hard for, um, amongst guys, but I'm sure it's hard for a lot of you. That idea of saying, hey, like Jack, I screwed up, man. Like I really messed up in this area, you know? And it's something that, until you do it, it's kind of like tithing, until you do it, you don't understand the magnitude, the healing power, um, the grace that can and will be extended to you if you are willing to confess the sins that you commit. The third one is community. Um, community is something that's super, super important. And Paul emphasizes, this is why Paul emphasizes the idea of all these one another commandments. Love one another. You know, be with one another. This is why here at Thrive and at Pathway, we mark our, our things with um, our statements with, we want to build a community. You know, we want to build a, a community equipped to bring Christ to our city, right? We need to have people that we're willing, we can rally around with each other, that we can go into battle with. That's why the last couple of weeks have been so encouraging to see so, so many of you guys just being super vulnerable and saying, hey, look, this is where I'm at. You know, will you walk with me? Will you run with me? Will you fight with me? You know, that's so important. You know, and I would say that for anybody in the fall, when we go after freshmen, they will tell, as, a, as our community, they will tell what marks our community. If we love one another or if we don't. If we're just here for the lip service. If we're just here because we're, we think we're supposed to be. And so community is absolutely something that can help us in that pursuit in fighting the flesh. And the, third, the fourth and final thing, this is kind of a, a softer one, but the idea of running and fleeing. And I know that's counter counter, you think it's contradictory to the idea of fighting is to run. But you think about that idea of fight or flight. Even for me, the quote that came to mind was uh, in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies where Jack Sparrow, uh, played by Johnny Depp, you know, he's pretty dorky. But there's all these people that are coming to fight them. And he says, we must fight to run away. And then he just starts running away. And Ty's got a picture there. If you can pull that up, that's him running. And it, it, and we should, when, when something like, especially for me, when it comes to lust, I've got to run. That's why I say, I, I sit down and pray, I said, we're not doing this today. 
Um, 2 Timothy 2.22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call uh, on the Lord from a pure heart. And so there is this idea that sometimes what you do need to do is run. Just the opposite direction. Go. Take off like him. You know? And so as we kind of close up, I just kind of want to call the worship team back up here. But what I want us to understand, and the thing that I want you guys to walk away with tonight, is the question, are you willing to fight for intimacy, intimacy with Christ? Are you really willing to engage in that battle? Because whether you actually want to believe it or not, spiritual warfare is real. You're going to have to fight at times. Um, but you can't fight alone. You need the spirit. You need the help there. And you need other people. And so as we kind of push forward to this idea, are you willing to fight for intimacy with Christ? And so I'm going to go ahead and pray for us and let these guys do their thing. But Father, we just want to thank you, God, just so much um, for the ability for us to be here tonight. God, and to just open up your word. Uh, God, as we look and look to finish up the book of Galatians these next couple weeks and wrap our semester. God, would we be marked by a continued pursuit of being the image of you. God, help us to continue to pursue God being made more like you. God, through sanctification, through leaning on the Holy Spirit, through leaning on seeing Christ in others. God, I pray that when stumbles come, when, when the storm comes, God, that we wouldn't stumble and God, if we do stumble, that we wouldn't stumble alone. God, that we'd have a brother to pick us up. We'd, we'd rely on the Spirit. We'd go to Him, confess our sins both to you, to other people. God, it's so important for us. God, just be honest about where we're at. God, help us to rest in your Holy Spirit, God, and in the cross. God, the finality of the cross that we uh, can rest in, God, who you are and what you've done for us. So, Father, I thank you, God, just for the opportunity for us to worship together and for this community of believers. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.